The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Uh, hello and welcome to the Big Blue Review. Uh, I am Dan Pizzuta. I am joined here now for the first time officially by Chris Flum. Chris, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Glad to have internet again. <laughs> Yeah, that that's good. So Chris uh, was actually not able to join us that last week. That's why I did the the first preview podcast by myself. And again, I'm sorry to those people who had to listen to me ramble for like 10, 15 minutes before we got to that interview with Rivers McCowan. But I'm joined with Chris now, and that's what we're going to be doing here from here on out. It's going to be Chris and I before the game's previewing, and usually on either Sunday night or Monday morning. Uh, we'll be reviewing the games, and so this is our first review, and we get to review the first Giants win. Yep, obviously we are good luck, and as long as we keep doing this, they will keep winning. Yeah, so... Or, or not. There we go, 14-2 and two from here on out, because, uh, because we're doing the podcast. So... Let's just, let's hop into it. So what we're going to do, we're just going to kind of give some general thoughts of how the game went, and then uh, we're going to dive into a couple more specific things. But Chris, I think there's only really one place we can start here for this game, uh, and that's Eli Manning. He was, I think we can put not great in the first two games, but... Probably one of the best games we've seen from him in a while uh, on Sunday against the Texans. Yeah, man. Eli played great last night. Uh, Actually, yesterday afternoon. I'm not sure I've seen a better game from him since, I don't know, maybe 2012. Uh, He probably has had games where he played well. Probably up to that standard, but probably not with that level of efficiency. He had, what, 86.8? Two, I think, percent completion. Yeah, eighty-six point two. So we went twenty-five for twenty-nine, two hundred ninety-seven yards uh, with two touchdowns. That's ten point two yards per attempt, which is not something Eli has done in quite a while. Uh, what was really impressive, though, and I think if we look at uh, next-gen stats by the NFL, they actually just put out a, a new stat that's called expected completion percentage. So they have all the tracking on the field, 
and by tracking uh, where the quarterback releases it, this separation between the wide receiver and the defender, uh, how far they are away from the sideline. There's a whole bunch of factors that go into it, and they can tell really how often these passes are expected to be completed. And Eli actually only had a 68.9% expected completion percentage, and he came out at 862 so that's a 17.3% difference, which was by far the highest of the week. Jared Goff was at 9.5 difference, uh, and that was the second highest. The stat's pretty new. Not totally sure if the players who are overshooting their expected completion percentage are being really good or being really lucky or a bit of both. Uh, but, being helped out by their receivers. Right, yeah, but... I mean, Eli was, was putting the ball where receivers could get it. And I think that's kind of what you wanted to see as as a Giants fan and someone watching this offense because we've been saying they have these weapons and Eli just kind of needed to, to do kind of a minimal amount just to get the ball in those guys' hands. Yeah, that that's the way we've, we're talking about this offense. This is the way the offense is supposed to work. Give Eli... Quick, easy reads, clean windows, and put the playmakers in position to make plays. I think the quick thing is is something we should we should talk about because there weren't a lot of quick throws uh, to be set up in the first two games, and I think when you compound that with how poorly the offensive line played, that just didn't fit well together Uh, in the first two games Eli was taking an average of 2.7 seconds to throw and that was about league average and with an offensive line that was allowing pressure at a pretty high rate you don't really want to be sitting back there at a league average rate for time to throw but against Houston Eli was only taking 2.4 seconds to throw that was the second quickest among quarterbacks this week only Mitchell Trubisky was quicker and that allowed the ball to get out quickly it allowed quick completions Uh, it allowed the receivers to get some yards after the catch I mean Eli wasn't doing that much he still only had an average of six intended air yards uh, which was the 10th lowest among quarterbacks he only threw one pass over 20 yards uh, which wasn't even completed he only had six pass attempts over 10 yards but I think that's okay with these guys that you have who can take the ball and make plays with it yeah when you've got Odell Beckham who you know, right now his ability with the ball in his hand is about legendary yeah, I think he only had one catch more than 10 yards down the field, but he had he averaged uh, 13 yards per catch. So that tells you right there. He's getting the ball in his hands, and he's getting upfield and getting yards on his own with, of course, some help from the scheme, Get, getting the ball with room to make the yards. Right, and I think, as, as we said, this is probably how the offense was supposed to look when we were looking at what Pat Shermer was going to do during the offseason and the possibilities of how these guys could get schemed open and you could scheme easier throws for Eli. This, this was probably it, and that kind of played out 
uh, against Houston. So we saw, and I think it had been a running joke in the Ben McAdoo offense that the Odell Beckham slant was the offense, and that's all you could do. But that kind of went away the first two weeks, and you kind of thought, you know, where is this slant? Beckham yeah. can do things with this slant that doesn't have to be 80, 85% of his routes, which it felt no. like was with McAdoo. But those are useful plays that he can do stuff with. Yeah, so if you've got a weapon in your uh, arsenal or a tool in your tool belt, you should use it. You just don't want to just have a hammer and make every problem a nail. With that, I think uh, one thing we can talk about now is is that usage. Uh, I think uh, Beckham was used way better than he has been in the past two games. Uh, Sterling Shepard was used better. I think even Saquon Barkley was used better. If you look at uh, how Beckham's targets uh, split up, he had 10 targets. Uh, Four of them came from the outside left. Two of them were in the left slot. Three were in the right slot, and one was on the outside right. So you're moving him around the field. That makes cornerbacks adjust to him, which makes cornerbacks adjust to the other receivers. Uh, and you can really create mismatches there just by moving around your best player. Yeah, they. you have to account for Odell, and that's going to put all kinds of pressure on the defensive coverage just by having to account for him, adapt for him, adapt to him, either moving your safeties if you want to bracket him, which, you know, most defenses probably do. And then that's going to like open up the underneath passes for Sterling Shepard, open up things for Saquon Barkley, either pulling defenders away for in runs or yeah, forcing defenses to put a linebacker on him in coverage. Right, and I think that's one thing the Giants did really well is getting Beckham involved, especially against uh, a Houston defense that had been pretty good against number one receivers, but didn't have doesn't have the secondary depth really to to cover the other guys. Uh, so by DVOA, which is football outsiders like team efficiency metric, uh, just for future reference, I am probably going to uh, be bringing that stat up uh, quite a bit uh, throughout this podcast. So through the first two weeks, Houston was number one in DVOA against number one receivers but they were 25th against number twos uh, and 24th against other wide receivers. So when you're able to move Beckham around, get him involved, make Houston worse against number one receivers, and then they still don't have the guys to cover uh, the Sterling Shepherds and, and the Cody Latimers, that makes your offense more dangerous by making that defense weaker. Yeah, and they've, uh, Jonathan Joseph is a good corner yeah that's probably probably a big reason why they're so good against number one receivers and Kareem Jackson isn't bad as a free safety he's a former corner turned 30 they moved him back to free safety they also have Tyron Matthew and well he's pretty well known at this point he's he's good (laughs) but those two guys aren't great at man coverage and being able to take away receivers 
Right. You had Jackson, who's been pushed back to safety. He had to come back to corner uh, when Kevin Johnson was lost for the year with a concussion. Matthew covers the slot sometimes, but they had Aaron Colvin there who came over from Jacksonville, and he's been a little hit or miss. But I think the Giants really did a good job of, of stretching out that defense. Uh, but I think we can move on now. And one thing that kind of allowed the Giants to do what they did, uh, to some extent, we talked about the quick passes. But I think the offensive line definitely had its best game. There were some, there were some blown blocks, and we'll probably get into J.J. <laughs> Watt's impact uh, a little bit. But overall, I think the offensive line played pretty well. Yeah, this probably was their best game of the of this season. You know, a, a sample size of now three. But the two big changes: uh, John Halapio going down for the year, being replaced by John Greco, uh, veteran guard, occasional tackle, now center, and Chad Wheeler, second year undrafted free agent, gets his first start of this season at right tackle has. He did play right tackle last year, had some good, some kind of scary bad. But I think we can give him kind of a pass for this game, giving up three sacks to J.J. Watt. Yeah, it's it's an interesting way to of how we're going to talk about Wheeler in this game. Because I'm going to assume he knew he was starting before Sunday morning when we all found out. Uh, but I think uh, Pat Shermer actually told the team the previous night. Oh, okay. So he didn't have that much advance notice, which uh, when you're going to be lining up at right tackle, which is where J.J. Watt lines much up lives. across. <laughs> yeah, so that's not an easy thing to do for your first game as a starter. I mean, he did start the Week 17 game last year, but at the same time, He's a starter. You put him in. You you're expecting him to play well. And if Flowers had given up three pretty bad sacks uh, to J.J. Watt, we would completely be killing him, and that we be demanding stop, he be benched. Yeah, we wouldn't <laughs> stop talking about it for for the entire week, probably until Wheeler played. <laughs> so it's it's kind of a weird line uh, we're going across here, but I mean. One thing is, J.J. Uh, Watt is is insane. Uh, he didn't yes. have any sacks going into this game, and the broadcast kind of made a big deal about that. Uh, but if you looked at Houston's first two games, he was so close. It was only a matter of time before he went off. He was, he was getting to the quarterback. Uh, they were just getting the ball off just in time before he got there. And the first game was against Tom Brady, who's probably better than that than just about any other quarterback. The second game was against Blaine Gabbert, and the Titans barely let him drop back. They were rolling him out and trying to get him so far away from J.J. Watt so Watt wouldn't kill him. Uh, Do J.J. Watt things. (laughs) Yeah, and and he did J.J. Watt things against Wheeler. There was one of, I think it was his second sack. He He knew the snap count. He oh, yeah. was so quick. There was there was nothing I think any right tackle could have done uh, on that play. 
It's just, I think J.J. Watt is really good, and I think you kind of have to put that as part of your evaluation, but also hope... I mean, there's a there's a lot of good pass rushers in the league who were going to line up over the right tackle, and that was part of the thing we talked about with Eric Flowers, or why having him out there probably wasn't a good idea. So it's not going to get much easier uh, for Wheeler going forward. No. Nope. Uh, next week he gets, and skipping ahead of show here, but next week he gets to see Cam Jordan going down the line a little bit, and then he's going to see uh, he's going to see Khalil Mack later on now which will be awesome, probably for, more for Mac than Eli, but, you know, so Wheeler's right, going to yeah, grow fast there. <laughs> yeah, the, there's not a lot of difference, and I think it's something we've, we've talked about with Flowers. There's not a lot of difference in the quality of players you see at left tackle and right tackle anymore. Uh, there's, there's barely right a difference between harder. Players. Right tackle's probably harder for, there, for pass rushers. Yeah, at this at this point, that's it's probably true. One thing I do want to bring up about the offensive line, really, I think in in run blocking when when they needed to, I think it was pretty good. And I think one other guy who has has been down a little bit was Patrick Omame, but he had a really nice block to seal the hole on on Saquon Barkley's touchdown run. I, th- I think they they schemed that play really well. Evan Ingram was in line to the right. He basically acted as the right tackle on that play, so he blocked that defensive end. That allowed Wheeler to block the inside defensive tackle, and Omame got to the second level and caught off a linebacker, which really opened up the hole for Barkley to run. Uh, so that was very nice to see, and this was a Houston team that was third in DVOA. Uh, against the run coming in the pretty solid day around i think yeah now one thing we should probably mention with the offensive line they did do some things like sliding protection get eli manning out of the pocket not as much as jacksonville did with Bortles, but for eli himself he was out and running around more than we've probably seen from him in a while and i thought he did a good job at it he was unusually precise with the ball on the move that was one thing uh, you definitely would like to see from him. And if you can move those pockets, that makes having an offensive line that might blow a blocker three uh, <laughs> during the course of a game, uh, that makes it easier to scheme around. And that's, I think, another thing uh, we're going to be talking about to see if that can continue and whether they're going to try to scheme those types of pockets. I mean, I'm sure you don't want Eli running a whole bunch of bootlegs like he was, you know, Lamar Jackson or something. You're not going to have that type of offense. But if if you can move those pockets a bit and also scheme an open receiver quickly, I think that can only help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It also helps to simplify his reads. When you get running like that, you're really only doing about a half-field read. So cut it down to one or two receivers. You get defenders in conflict. One of them's going to be open. Just take the quick pass, make a catchable ball out of it, put it where it needs to be, let the fast guy do uh, do the work. Right, and when one of those fast guys is Odell Beckham, having a one or two receiver read uh, is not a bad call. Uh, no. But I think that's that's good with, with the offense right now. Let's jump to the defensive side of the ball. And I think there we have to start with 
the defensive line, which was under some scrutiny uh, because there's there's not a lot of depth there. There hadn't been a lot of pressure created without Olivier Vernon, but that was not the case uh, against Houston. Uh, 11 quarterback hits by this defensive line. Yeah. I'm not sure you might have the numbers on hand, but I think that might be as many as they had in the first two games put together. Granted, the Texans do not have a good pass-protecting offensive line. They more or less depend on Deshaun Watson being able to run away from everything, which he did a kind of distressing amount of yesterday. He got out, he scrambled, he ran away from a a lot of would-be sacks, but still three sacks, two rookies got their first sacks of the season, or their careers, really. I think there's a lot of places we can go on this defensive line, uh, but I want to talk about B.J. Hill uh, real quick. His sack came as actually a 4-3 defensive end. They had a yeah, four-man defensive impressive. line, came on the edge, completely just bowled over the tackle, and got right into Watson. But what was, I think, even just as impressive, on the next play, he did it again made Watson be flush out of the pocket, and that was the Alec Ogletree interception, which was really yeah. set up by a pressure from Hill that could have easily been his second sack on two plays. Yeah, and all things considered, I think we'll take the uh, interception in the end zone over the sack, but that w- Hill was really impressive. You could, you could see him start to find his groove, find his, get a feel for the guys he was rushing against, and... Yeah, I, I brought it up a couple times. He is a lot more athletic than he has been given credit for. I, the entire NC State defensive line is really athletic, but he it compares. Insane. Yeah, yeah, he compares surprisingly well to Fletcher Cox, like for a guy who's about twenty pounds heavier. Yeah, and that that's a good thing to see. A guy you can put on on the end in a three four line. A guy you can now put on the interior of a 4-3 line and create pressure on the interior. And if you can put him out on the edge, you move that guy around. No offensive lineman is going to be able to to get a handle on him if he's not going yeah. against the same guy uh, every yeah. snap. And I think that gives you an advantage as, as a pass rusher. Absolutely. And when they can finally get Olivier Vernon back, that's another movable piece who can create pressure obviously their best pass rusher right now but having multiple guys that are moving all over the place that the offensives have to find and it's just going to put a lot of pressure on offenses yeah and that's one thing yeah and that's one thing i really like about the the james betcher defense too is when everybody's moving around and you just stack guys at the line of scrimmage offenses don't really know who is going to come because betcher's probably going to bring more than four uh but you're not going to know which four even when he does bring four and then when you can set up that confusion and you have guys like hill who can just beat their man one-on-one that makes everything completely easier for that defense and the fact they can create pressure and and give it houston's offensive line is not great especially at the two tackle positions they really had trouble there you know how many teams are really good at tackle probably not not too many so (laughs) right Dallas, Philly, and Washington. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it just happens to be the three teams in the division. Uh, but hey. I think when you can create pressure like that and without the guy who was supposed to be creating all the pressure, I think that's a, that's a pretty good sign. Oh, definitely. Now, one thing that did surprise me with this was how much they played a four-man front. I wasn't charting the plays, but I think there were only a handful where they actually played their base defense. Most of it was a four-two-five, from what I could tell just first glance at the game as it was happening. Right, and that was that was a big thing that was brought up when Betcher was hired about oh oh no everything has to switch to a three-four now. But the thing is, that's base defense is not base defense in the NFL anymore. Uh, it's, base defense is it's a sub nickel. <laughs> yeah, nickel is is base defense, and even in Arizona last year, I, I wrote about this when when Betcher was hired in the off season. He played about sixty six percent of the plays in Arizona in nickel, which usually comes with with a four man line. So even though he's a three four base, the the edge rushers are going to be standing up a little more. It's not always going to be a three-man line with, with four linebackers, and actually rarely is that going to be the case, and I think that's something we've seen this year. Yeah, no, they, for most of the time, they only had two linebackers. I, I'm not sure. I believe Ogletree was on the field the whole game. Yes, he, pl- he played every single snap, and then they pretty much rotate between B.J. Goodson and Ray Ray Armstrong for the second one, and then either three corners or three safeties for the third linebacker spot as the nickelback right uh so as we do that let's now talk about that secondary which was probably the concern you have going in and i'm surprised i'm saying this uh with eli apple out you kind of wondered if the giants could could hold on uh because through two weeks eli apple had been really good Uh, yeah he had been excellent yeah, and some of that you kind of wonder they were. It was a lot of go routes to Dante Moncrief in in the first game, but but Apple Apple had been good. I think through two weeks among sixty five qualified cornerbacks per Football Outsiders, Apple was second in yards allowed per pass, just two two yards allowed per pass, yeah. and he was tied for thirteenth in success rate. And I think one thing you you really wondered is. We knew even with Apple, depth in the secondary was not good. And then with Apple out, you had B.W. Webb and Dante Dion, and that was that was a bit of hit or miss against Houston. Yeah, uh, there were some plays where B.W. Webb actually actually impressed me with his like I like to think that his mental footwork, where using field position, uh, the sideline more like shepherding receivers away from where they could catch the ball. It, that impressed me. But then there were others where you could see, okay, yeah, this guy is, there, there's a reason why he is a depth player and not a starter. Right. And I think you kind of saw that with what Will Fuller did in this game, a uh, five receptions, 101 yards and a touchdown. Although that was on 11 targets, so we caught less than half of his intended targets, but he was still able to 
to have big gains when he did catch the ball. Uh, the touchdown was was a weird play in zone coverage uh, near the end zone when Alec Ogletree just stopped his feet, and I don't know if he was like trying to scare Fuller or something <laughs> when he was running across, but Fuller just kind of ran right past him, and Ogletree trailed in coverage. I wasn't really that close, so that was the touchdown, so it wasn't like Fuller got a long bomb touchdown, which he apparently just does every other game. But still, five receptions, 101 yards for the number two receiver, which was something you were would be concerned about with Apple out. Yeah. I think if Apple had been had played he probably would not have done that. They also probably wouldn't wouldn't have played the coverage schemes that they did if they had two guys who really excel in man coverage. Right. And I, so that that's one thing I think we're going to going to look for. See when Apple can come back. And, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins still went for 86 yards, but six receptions on 10 targets. Janoris Jenkins did did an okay job, and and he's been hit or miss. So when this secondary is at full strength and and you have two receivers who can be really good, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if if the secondary can still hold up there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Hopkins is going to get his. He's done it his whole career with you know i think we might have been playing quarterback for the texans at some point and just not known it and hopkins just keeps producing so i'm not gonna that would not be far off from the production (laughs) deandre hopkins had at quarterback for quite some time yeah i so i'm not gonna ding jenkins too much because hopkins is probably the best receiver that okay you can't say nobody talks about because everybody talks about how nobody talks about him he deserves to be in that top five conversation. Oh yeah, he he definitely is. So you can't totally fault Jenkins uh, there. To be honest, holding him under a hundred yards and no touchdowns and no touchdowns. Yeah, it's it's really not a bad day, uh, no. which is I think what what you're hoping for. <laughs> uh, to be honest, uh, so. Now I think we're going to to move forward into a segment I think we're going to end these review podcasts with. We're going to call it Four Ups and Four Downs. Chris and I are going to go over four things we liked from the game, four things we didn't like just to kind of to cap it off. So I think we're going to split it. We're going to do two each. So Chris, I'll let you get to your first up. Okay. This is so far a guy we haven't mentioned yet. Tight end Red Ellison. He this is he played by far the most snaps. He has uh, actually I think as a giant he had fifty four snaps. Eighty seven percent of the offensive snaps he played. He caught three passes on three targets. A little over thirty yards. Oh no, a lot over thirty yards. Thirty nine yards. But he also scored touchdown. Really great for him. A really great game. And he also, I think, was a pretty big reason why the Giants had the success that they did running the ball. And there were a few times he got, he had the uh, pleasure, I suppose, of uh, blocking J.J. Watt. And he lost, but he didn't lose as badly as he could have. So that's my first up. 
He got a lot of run because Evan Ingram went down with a knee injury. Was it a knee? Yeah, it's, an, it's a knee. Um, it was reported he was in a brace after the game. I Unless word has come out while we were recording. Okay, he is... I guess they're waiting to hear back about an MRI right now. Right, okay. So we're still waiting to hear word on that. Ingram uh, was lost for the game, so Ellison did get some more run. But I want to talk about that the touchdown for a little bit uh, because I think when we talk about what this offense is supposed to look like, it was that touchdown. So the Giants came out in empty set, three receiver, three wide receivers to the left side, Ellison in the slot to the right, and Saquon Barkley was receiver outside to the right. Houston had one deep safety who understandably had shaded to the three wide receiver side. Ellison at the snap ran uh, a quick uh, full step to the outside, and once he cut back into the post, uh, once he cleared the linebacker who was in man coverage against him, he had a free path to the end zone. And touchdowns don't get much easier than that, and that was just schemed up perfectly to stretch the defense horizontally. And as we talk about, that's exactly what you thought you were going to see from a Pat Shermer offense. Yeah, and they had the tight end running down the field as opposed to across it, which is nice to see. And I believe this actually uh, segues nicely into one of your ups. Yeah, so my first up is just going to be finding a rhythm on offense. Uh, It seemed like through the first two games, the Giants kind of, it looked like they ignored how the offensive line could impact what the offense looked like. And we saw that. It was Eli kind of trying to make something happen and running around and then dumping it off to Barkley, which he did on, it seemed like, it felt like every pass against Dallas was Eli not finding anything downfield, having a defender in his face and dumping it off to Barkley. But in this game, it felt like they... They schemed themselves around that pressure. They let Eli get it out quickly. They let the receivers get the ball in their hands quickly and run after the catch. Uh, and I think that's something that's it's good to see. It's an adjustment. It's an adjustment that worked. And hopefully we, we will see it a little more going down the line. We've danced around it a few times. Why don't you do your second up? All right, so I'll just jump into that, and it's something that happened on that Ellison touchdown, uh, and it's using Saquon Barkley as an outside receiver. They used him to stretch the defense on that touchdown. They had a third and one uh, where they lined him up and, and got him on a linebacker late in the game, and they threw a really nice pass to him that he had to jump up and adjust to. He was outside a couple of times, and that's something... I'm still, and I'm sure we'll get into this at other points, when you draft a running back second overall, which probably isn't something you should really do. But why you drafted Barkley is because he can do stuff like that. You didn't draft him to to take 14 checkdowns a game. No. You got him so you can move him around. He has the ability to win on the outside. He has the ability to win on the slot. None of his targets uh, against Dallas came in the outside or the slot. So moving him around, stretching that defense, that's what you want to see happen. 
and and they started doing that against Houston. So hopefully, again, that's another thing that goes forward. Yeah, and that's a concept I really love is, you know, taking Barkley in the backfield, motioning him out, lining up in the slot, but also as a wide receiver. That's something the Saints and the Patriots both do. And it's great because it really exposes what the defense is going to do, which is good when you have a quarterback as smart as Eli Manning or Drew Drew Brees or Tom Brady. Right, when you have someone who really takes in pre-snap what the defense is giving them. When you can set up those mismatches and you can make the defense tell you what they're doing, it makes everything easier for the quarterback. So, Chris, let's go into into your last up. Yep. Uh, mine, I, I just have to give credit, again, to the defensive line. You know, Damon Harrison, I it is... The entire NFL should be ashamed that he isn't a perennial Pro Bowl or perennial All Pro because he is just a monster. I think the, the crazy middle. thing about Harrison is he's more of a perennial All Pro than he is a Pro Bowler uh, yeah. because he's been on more All Pro teams than he has Pro Bowl rosters, and that's, yeah, that's crazy. He, he should have a condo in Hawaii, right? He, yeah, he yeah. should be there every year. But yeah, Dalvin Tomlinson was good. Yeah, he is very quietly becoming snacks light. Mario Edwards, he showed up. We almost have to give the defensive game ball if we were going to be giving those away to carry win. Uh, I joked that somebody turned his calendar back to August, but that's what it looked like. He was everywhere. He Most of the time in the Texans' backfield. Unless, of course, he was running upfield to force a fumble. Oh, and I think he also had a pass defensed because, you know, yeah. why not? Right, and then we haven't even ta- talked about Kareem Martin, who was also no. really good. Uh, he was, Four yeah. quarterback hits in the game. The Giants yeah. had 11 total. And Lorenzo Carter showed up. He had his first sack. He had two quarterback hits himself. So it wasn't even just one guy dominating, which was nice to see on the defensive line. It was a lot of guys uh, who were getting in and around the quarterback, which which is something you want to see. And then eventually the best pass rusher comes back. Uh, So really nice things to see on that defensive line. Yep. Uh, So now uh, this is a bit of a bummer after, you know, the things we've talked about that went well on the podcast, but I think there's still things the Giants can work on. So let's get to four downs. Chris, what's your first down? First one, uh, I have to go with Curtis Riley. Yeah. I almost hate to dump on him because... This is only his third game as a free as a safety after playing cornerback his whole career, and that is a tough transition to make. You have to see the whole field. The, your reads are different. Your responsibilities are different. But in this game in particular, he he has to feel ashamed at how he had Will Fuller dead to rights and just let him get out muscled and gave up quite a few yards after the catch or after contact. And then something I've noticed consistently from him is he takes somewhere between very aggressive and just very risky angles to the ball from the free safety position. And when you play a defense as aggressive as James Batcher, you need your free safety to be that last line of defense. He needs to be 
in position. He needs to take smart angles to just so the offense can't take advantage of the blitzes for big plays. Right. When you're playing in that better scheme and you have someone like Landon Collins who is going to be playing closer up in the box and you're not playing a lot of of two deep safeties, Riley's got to be there to make plays and and bad angles and missed tackles have kind of been this story of of his season. Yeah. Um, and that's not something you can really take from that from that free safety position. And I think the Giants need to think about that and uh, I said this in the first podcast, this is a problem you could have seen coming uh, yeah. when when there wasn't a lot of talent in that free safety position to begin with. Uh, so that's something the Giants are probably going to have to look at. I brought this up. Rivers McCowan actually brought this up uh, in the preview show. There's a really good safety named Eric Reed who does not it's, have a job. Yeah, and he would be a phenomenal compliment to Landon Collins. Yeah, that would but, probably instantly be one of the best safety duos in the league. Yeah, yeah, good against the pass. He was like fifth in success rate against the pass uh, per Football Outsiders last year, um, which is something that the Giants could probably put to good defense. use. Yeah, I, yeah. That would be nice. Um, but okay. uh, so I'll get to, to my uh, first down, which is our second down. And it's kind of a very small, specific thing. But the like Odell Beckham like looping sweep action they have on some of these plays uh, where he comes in motion and it's not even a jet sweep coming across the quarterback. It's like a loop that goes behind the running back and... The defense isn't really buying anything that's happening. All it's done so far has taken Beckham out of plays, which I'm I'm not an offensive coordinator, but using Odell Beckham as a decoy where he just stands like eight yards in the backfield, that's not something I would I would draw up um, unless the Giants have something really cool like drawn up off of that motion that they're going to unveil later in the season, uh, using him in that way just kind of seems like a waste of time. It's not fooling anybody. You're taking your best offensive player out of the play. I've, I've seen it way too often already through three weeks. Yeah. yeah. I will say this. Ben McAdoo had one play that used motion like that. It was a play-action fake sweep screen pass. I He broke it out like twice per season and i always loved it when it happened it was a little long developing but the fakes and everything usually wound up faking the defense out maybe they've got something like that planned but um just using it as a play like what was it week one they used it down in the down by the goal line and it wound up going for a loss it 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 never works (laughs) Right, and I'm fine with like some jet sweep action because that might actually turn into something. And even uh, when Barkley was drafted, I said steal that Rams play that and the Chiefs play that that went around where they they use the jet sweep and that that opens up the running back up the seam. That's fine, but whatever this like looping sweep is, uh, it it just needs to stop. Um, so Chris, yeah. let's, let's get to, to your next down. Okay. Mine has to be just the use of zone coverage in, in this game. And 
it worked in the first half, you know, the especially when the Texans actually still wanted to run the ball. You know, having the eyes in the backfield, that helped. And you know, Watson wasn't able to escape as much. The they were able to swarm to the football and I think the Giants only gave up something like 25 yards to running backs, which for a team that had been averaging 157 and a half yards on the ground, that's impressive. But in the second half, Bill O'Brien adjusted. They just said, you know what? We're going to throw. They want to sit into zone coverage. We'll let DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller take advantage of it, find the voids, and pick them apart. And that's what they did. And the Giants stayed in zone coverage too long. Maybe part of it was because Eli Apple was out and... You know, have, having B.W. Webb manned up on Will Fuller and running down the field, not ideal. But also putting Janoris Jenkins in zone coverage isn't ideal either. So that that's my my third down. And maybe appropriately that coverage scheme let the Texans convert maybe a few more third downs than they than the Giants would have liked. Yeah, uh, I think that's something that could have let the Texans come back. I wrote uh, in my plays that changed the game column, there were two late third down conversions the Texans have that, that could have led to a lot more. And the the Texans had had driven on that zoned coverage, but if it wasn't for the underthrown pass that turned into the Ogletree interception, which was in the end zone, and then the the fumble that happened on the on the pass to Lamar Miller. Um, those were two turnovers uh, that could have led to points for Houston, uh, but the Giants got really lucky there. Yeah, yeah, lucky or also some great play from B.J. Hill and Kerry Win. Correct. But uh, I think maybe against maybe another team, uh, those yeah, those plays don't happen. Uh, no. So I think that's something you have to watch out for. So I'm going to get to to my last down here, and this might not sit well with with some people, but the commitment to running on first down. I know a lot of people with with the running backs, they want to see a commitment to the run, uh, and they think that opens up the offense, but I am here to tell you that is not the case. I wrote a big thing on Big Blue View uh, right before the season about how we need to change the way we talk about the running game. Uh, we've there's been so much research that just shows uh, running early is not a good thing. Running into stacked boxes is not a good thing. And for the most part, it, it sets the offense back more. So the Giants really committed to the run on first down. Uh, they had 15 rushing plays. They averaged three yards per carry, but they had a success rate of 23.1%. That's not what you want on first down. Meanwhile, passing, 12 passes, 7.75 yards per attempt, uh, and a 61.5% success rate. So much easier. Yeah, and when your quarterback is as on as Eli was yesterday, just let him do his thing. You know, you, you can get to that second and medium second and short which just opens up the entire playbook you know get some momentum going early get the defense back on its heels right and this 
This game was not won because Saquon Barkley had 17 carries. This game was won because Eli had 10.2 yards per attempt through the air. Uh, And I think we're going to see that passing is going to be so much more important for this offense uh, than running the ball. Yeah, the offensive line is not great at run blocking, I think we can say. Maybe they will get there eventually. Probably need some growth from Chad Wheeler. Uh, Will Hernandez gaining experience and becoming less of a rookie. Not that he was bad at all, but there's going to be growth there. You know, maybe they'll be able to have more success running the ball on an every down basis. But right now, let Eli air it out. Yeah, and if if it can go with those quick hitters, and you're going to get so many more yards with Odell Beckham running a slant than you are running whoever, even if it is Barkley, just up the gut against a team that is prepared for it. But it worked out in this game, and and that's good. That's what we want to see. So I think we're going to to end it there. That's our first recap. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. So you can officially uh, subscribe to this podcast now. Pretty much, I think, anywhere where you subscribe to to podcasts. And so please follow along. Everything you, you want from Big Blue View through audio form is going to be on this channel. So we're going to have the the reviews like this we're gonna have the previews at the end of the week looking at games we're gonna have more shows and more hosts eventually all on on this channel so just subscribe here and you'll get everything so chris for people interested uh where can can they find you for the most part i'm always writing new stuff on big blue view and you can also find me on twitter at raptor mark two that's Raptor M K I I. All right, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. So here we are, capping off the first Giants win of this season. We will be back at the end of the week, previewing the next game against New Orleans. Thank you guys for listening, and and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.